0: Rising above the story is understanding and acknowledging your story and then figuring out how you're going to change that story, rewrite that story so that you can rise above it and get out of those limitations.
1: Welcome back to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Saperstein. Today, I sit down with writer Karina Kilcoin. Karina and I discuss the progression of her career from criminal defense lawyer to author and how she's using her own experiences to help others reframe their personal narratives. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Karina, thank you so much for joining our Women on the Move podcast. It's great to have you on with us.
0: Thank you for having me, Sam. This is so wonderful to be in this space with you and be able to exchange ideas. So I'm looking forward to it.
1: Let's start off with some information about you. Would love it if you tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: So I was born in a rusted out steel town in Ohio. And like so many of us, I feel like where I was born and to whom I was born ended up shaping so much of the stories that I came to believe about myself. So, I feel like one of my earliest memories about wanting to become a writer was around six years old, and maybe my lingo then wasn't, oh, I want to be a writer. It might have been more like, oh, I want to put words on this page, or I want to tell stories, something like that. My childhood, though, was very tumultuous, and I found that books were a real escape for me. My parents had a very tumultuous relationship, and my father was a successful businessman, So for my early childhood, finances were pretty good and pretty steady. However, when I was 12, he was convicted of mail fraud and sent to the federal penitentiary. That intensely changed my life. It was a seismic shift for me, really, because it left me basically in charge of my family. My mother had debilitating depression and anxiety. I had younger siblings. I was the oldest, and I was really left to be the caretaker, I put myself through school with scholarships and working, and I put myself through college and law school, and I graduated from Case Western Reserve. I ended up practicing law for many years, and these days I say that I am a recovering lawyer because I, <laughs> I have stopped practicing law and I am focused back on my childhood dream, which was writing books.
1: That is really remarkable, just how you describe your early background and the things you went through and the fact that you now want to bring this story to others and hopefully through that share with people that it's okay to find that story. And as we'll get into, talk about rise above the story. But I'd love to understand, you know, when you were in the law and you were starting out your career there, what prompted you to do that given you wanted to be a writer in the first place? Tell us about that detour into the law and what you did there for so many years. I chose the law,
0: Sam, for, I would say, looking back on it, two big reasons. The first one was a continuation of the trauma I had had as a child. So when I was 24, my mother died of cancer and she was only 44 and I adopted my nine-year-old brother. And... I needed something, a profession where I felt like there's going to be steady income. And I felt that I could have a stable life for us and I could provide that for him. The law became my choice because, again, I think what I lived through with my father, I mean, we had, you know, FBI agents sitting outside of our house, surveilling our house. There was so much talk of lawyers and lawyers and lawyers. And so growing up at that pivotal point in my life, from 12 to 16-ish, you know, that living through all of that, I wanted to know so much and I wanted to know more about the law and I wanted to understand really what happened to my father. And there was also this call in me that I wanted to help other families that were going through what I went through. So I think that was really the crux of why I chose the law. Also why I chose to be a criminal defense lawyer. So for many, many years, I was a criminal defense lawyer and I started out Right out of law school, I remember so vividly going down and getting on the court-appointed list, and that was to represent people who couldn't afford a lawyer. And all I really wanted to do was be a trial lawyer. It was this drive, this passion, me to, I don't want to say save the world, but save as many people as I could or do what I could to make a difference. So some of my earlier cases were trials of more violent crime. I had two great mentors who did a lot of death penalty work. And they let me come on a second chair and do some death penalty work cases with them, trial and appeals. So that was really interesting. And then a few years later, I moved to Florida and I got a job at a white collar criminal defense firm. In that realm, I represented you know CEOs, business people, doctors, other lawyers. And that was an interesting turn for me as well, given my past. So everything kind of kept coming full circle for me. And then the law, I feel like if you really want to be extraordinary at it, you really have to let it consume you. And that's really what was happening to me. It was becoming such a huge part of my life. I ended up getting recruited and hired as corporate in-house counsel for a $6 billion publicly traded company. And I worked as assistant general counsel and assistant corporate secretary for a few years there. It was a really interesting pivot for me. And that was the last position I had in the legal field.
1: It's so interesting to hear how you represented such a wide spectrum of clients in your early stage, and then when you started representing white collar defendants, how did you process all of that? You know, how did you make that switch and find, you know the same effort, drive, meaning among such a different range of clients that you're representing?
0: It is, if you look at it from a higher level, it is different, right? It is different. The people are different. The crimes are different. However, for me, really what I saw is the similarity in the common thread was that everybody in that situation has about the same emotion, the same angst, the same feeling of either it's it wasn't me i didn't do it and what is this going to mean for my family how do i leave them behind there was a lot of that there was also for me the big bright opportunity to help and to defend the constitution you know with regard to you know search and seizure and what was proper and what was legal and what was illegal and kind of just defending human right defending everybody's personal liberty and to me that was such a big thing i think again that i carried with me from my childhood and so well, it was a wide array, I feel, of what I did. I feel like there was a lot of commonality from a human perspective. From a more business perspective, as far as is shifting around, I felt like it was time for me to shift from criminal law to more white collar. It felt like a more intellectual shift for me. It gave me that extra bump of something that I had to. So not only did I have to know the law in legal terms, but now I had to understand the accounting of something. The valuation of stock, like whatever the case was about, I then had to become an expert in that area of business as well. It was this continual intellectual evolution for me of of feeling challenged and what else was there out there for me to learn.
1: That sounds great. I mean, that sounds like really pushing yourself forward in new ways, building on those experiences and skills, but going into a new space where it was about your own growth and development. So let's talk about the present. You know, you are a writer now. You've had a website you're publishing a book, you're really using your experience to inform what you're doing now and how you want to help others from a different perspective. So then you did leave the law to become a writer. And I'm curious, what did the early writing career look like for you? And how has that evolved?
0: So my early writing career was scary. It was scary to leave the law because, you know, I had practiced in multiple states. I had done all kinds of things. So it was scary to kind of give that up. And then being a writer, being a creative is scary in its own right because, you know, you're putting stuff out there into the world and you're waiting for people to tell you if it's good or not, if they like it or not. So the beginning was a lot of that and, you know, that learning curve. But what I did to begin it was that I started a lifestyle blog. I figured just some way to get me writing multiple times a week and to make me feel more comfortable with it. So I started a lifestyle blog called carousing.com and it was really fun and flirty. And I talked about, you know, spirituality and soulfulness and wellness and travel, things that just lit me up and I was passionate about and I wanted to talk about. But what was really interesting was, was that when I would write deeper, when I would get vulnerable and I would share some of these life stories, I would get such a great response from that. It started to make me wonder, maybe I should be doing more of that. You know, my whole life I had kind of shunned where I came from and shunned who I was and I was ashamed of that. And I didn't want people knowing all this stuff about my father and all this stuff. So for me, I started to really like excavate who I was and what I was willing to show people. And it got really interesting as I started to write more of that. And then as the universe would have it, it came at me like a tidal wave that this was what I should be doing. Because interestingly enough, a few years ago, I had this beautiful beloved dog named Finn, who at seven years old was diagnosed with this terrible form of cancer. He didn't live long with it, like two months. And those two months coincided almost moment to moment with the last two months of my mother's life, 20 years before, like exactly 20 years before, same time frame. And I'm going through this horrible time, not wanting to lose him. And it's bringing up in me all of this old stuff about my mother who, you know, I cared for her. She was dying. We didn't have the greatest relationship because I felt like all this old anger, all this old resentment, all this old shame. And so when my dog died, it was like this watershed of grief. It just kept coming out and coming out and coming out. I realized that so much of it was this old suppressed stuff that I had had from my childhood, from my mother, stuff I hadn't dealt with and that got me into writing my memoir. I spent over a year writing my memoir and it was I mean I did a lot of things to to heal, to bring out the guck to you know to get through all of that, but writing my memoir was one of the most cathartic things. I spent another year taking it to writing conferences, having people look at it, edit it, shift it, change it, redo this, redo that. It was something and I I got to live in that space for about two years and work through a lot of that stuff. And as I was doing it, Sam, I was like, this is something else. Like I had never given myself the credit, right? I just kept stuffing and going on and trying to be strong and trying to be a survivor. And I suddenly started to realize that if I could do what I did and rise above that story, There's so many people out there that could benefit from that.
1: Oh, my goodness. I love that in so many ways. I mean, it is hard enough to change a career, be a writer, as you say, put yourself out there for comments. But the fact that you were then going through so much kind of trauma from the past is just a whole other layer. And so I really appreciate your bravery in doing that. And I think it is something that many people will respond to positively. Do you find that challenging now or has it been sort of a cathartic exercise and it comes easier for you now the more you delve into things?
0: Definitely it's easier because now I feel as though I have the lens in which I see what I'm doing. I see it as service. I see it as an honor. I see it as Why would I have gone through all of this and survived it and risen above it and done all these other things had it not to be to share it? And that to me is the value. And what I'm doing with Rise Above the Story is I really want it to feel like it's a place to be safe and a place to be yourself and a place to acknowledge your story. Let's
1: start with what you mean by to rise above your story. What is that main message that you're trying to convey to people?
0: Rise Above the Story is the epitome of what I went through and what I did. And to me, that means that it's so easy and almost a default to live a life of limitation based on your circumstance. And it's so easy and sometimes comfortable to accept that limitation, that feeling of being stuck Oh, I can't do this because ABC, I can't do this because this is where I came from, or this is what I did. And none of that is anything but a false narrative. It's a story that we write for ourselves based on what we went through. I even feel like, I don't even like to say, and I I stop myself and want to catch myself saying it, what happened to me? I feel like it's much more interesting and a different lens to say what I went through. Because there's also this sense of when you rise above the story, you're no longer a victim. This is what you went through. And then this is the story that you wrote about it because of what you went through. And rising above the story is understanding and acknowledging your story. And then figuring out how you're going to change that story, rewrite that story so that you can rise above it and get out of those limitations.
1: So that sounds like a really big emotional process, you know, you really have to think about this for yourself. What story have you been telling yourself? Maybe why and how can you rewrite it? You know, how can someone who might not have therapist or medical support, how can they do this on their own in the course of their day-to-day life? Because I think this would be so valuable to so many people.
0: So this is what I've written about in the book and I'm going to continue writing about it on the website. I have turned it into a formula. So as long as you're aware of stories and that you go through things and that therefore your brain will create a story around it, then once you start to see that and acknowledge that that's just human nature, there's nothing wrong about that. There's no shame in that. That's actually just the way we're built. And I'm going to tell you something. I have talked to so many people about this in the past year and a half that I've been building this brand and this business. And I'm going to say this to you. I don't care if you're a CEO, a rock star, an Olympic athlete, an astrophysicist, you have a story that you have written for yourself about some limitation. It could be small, it could be big, but everyone out there has a story that they've written about themselves. So the number one thing about this in my mind is there's no shame in saying, Yeah, I I have a story and I've been telling myself the story that I've written for myself. The formula that I have mapped out through a lot of trial and error on myself is acknowledging your story. Get really honest, like get down in there and write it out. I'm big on journaling. You'll be surprised what comes out. Acknowledge it and be really, really, really honest with yourself. Then, okay, why did I come up with that story? What was happening around me? Who was involved? What did they do? What are my triggers? Triggers are a big thing because... I also talk a lot about this on the site and in my upcoming book is rising is never a one and done because we always have triggers and we always kind of have this pattern. And so it's just being alert and in tune and present that okay, wait, am I right am I making up a story right now? Why am I doing it? Who's here? What's the trigger? Did this bring something up from my childhood that I really need to think about again? Untangle it. And then the rising and the rising comes from valuing and appreciating everything you've been through. There is magic and lessons in just about anything you can say that you've been through. It's finding that silver lining and being optimistic. The basics are those three things. Acknowledge your story, untangle it, and then the essence of what rising above it means to you specifically.
1: So you talked about the loss of your dog, how that was a real trigger for you regarding your mother and the relationship you had with her. What story were you telling about yourself to yourself, maybe about your upbringing and the things that you had to deal with? Is there an example of a story you found you were repeating that you had to rise above?
0: My big story was abandonment over and over again and my childhood in one way or another, I felt abandoned. And my mother, my father... It started to play out in relationships, friendships early on. I would have to be the first one to be upset or the first one to say, I don't want to be friends anymore, you know, and I'm 16, 18. And then how that played out in romantic relationships. And then my dog getting sick somehow I turned that into, see, look, somebody else I love is leaving me. So it was this story of why am I always being left? Why am I always the one? Da, da, da. It's so interesting is that as I've been building this brand and I've been writing all this on social media, I find that to be a big one for other people too, abandonment.
1: Yeah. That would strike me as something that would be pretty common among people that they could really relate to that. What else do you see out there? What common threads maybe on other common stories do you hear?
0: Three, I'd say. Shame, shame's a huge one. A lot of people, especially women carrying around old stories of early sexual experiences, carrying that shame around with them and how it affected them, that they didn't tell people in their family they didn't ask for help, relationships and love and a lot of that might go back to abandonment. But what I can tell you is is that from my own experience and what I try to promote and teach through my lens is that the situation a lot of us face is that we don't love ourselves first right? We keep looking to somebody else to have somebody else love us. And then we get our worth from somebody else's love. And what I've learned over the years is that until you spend the time to really get to know yourself, enjoy your own company, enjoy being alone, feeling comfortable, being alone, sleeping alone, eating alone at a restaurant, until you learn to do that and truly love who you are, a romantic long-term relationship is going to be a struggle. And the third one I'd say I see a lot is, Limitations. People really feel stuck about a story they've written about themselves. I'm in an unhappy marriage, but I'm staying for my kids. And while there is some perceived honor in that, I think what a lot of people don't always think through either is that having your children witness an unhealthy relationship, a violent relationship, a relationship where you're not valuing yourself is also traumatic to a child. Those are the three big things I see when people reach out to me, shame, relationships, and limitations.
1: I mean, that really cuts very deep. That is seems so fundamental to so much of the human experience. I think there's something everyone can relate to in one or more of those different things. As you're sharing your work and doing the writing and interacting with your audience, what's been some of the most rewarding things that have come out of this for you?
0: The feedback and the comments people's willingness to share and to be vulnerable. I had a whole online community for carousing when I did that a few years ago, and I built that community up. And now it's turned out to be such a blessing because it's enabled me to build this audience that really needs this message. What I'm loving about my social platform and the people that are on there is that they are so willing to share their own stories and be vulnerable And they're forming this community where they're replying to each other and they are boosting each other up and they are in this little love encouragement situation. And it's making me so happy. And I feel like I just did so today, like I go on there and I reply and I like things and send hearts and love, sending love and light. I feel like we're creating this movement, like we're going to change the world one story at a time, because could you imagine what the world would be like if more and more people started to give up that false narrative that they didn't feel like they had to live some limited life, that they could go out there and be everything they wanted to be. I mean, the resonance of that, the energy of that boggles my mind. But one story at a time, one person at a time, I feel like we're on a movement. I love that. And the thought of what you could
1: unleash is so powerful. That is really great. So recently you shared the hashtag rise above the story challenge. What is that? What are you trying to accomplish?
0: So I did five days of a video challenge. I really wanted to get people dialed down into what this was. You know, I had kind of danced around it and like said, you know, my post, this is what we're doing. And But I really wanted people to understand what it was. And so every day I picked a different topic of a story that we would rise above. So for instance, one day was love and relationships and another day was your limitations and another day was what's possible for you. And I did about a five to seven minute video. And I decided that what I needed to do to really get people into this and to believe in the value of it and to trust what was happening, to trust the process was for me to share my own stories. So I did that. It was the first time that I'd really done it on video. I had done it a lot in writing, but to actually sit there and record a video and tell my stories and tell them, it was remarkable for me. It was such a great experience to tell those stories and feel the lightness of them. There was a lot of wonderful feedback. A lot of people shared the videos. And I really think it hit home to a lot of people and got them on board that this is something we're going to do together. This is something that's going to be an ongoing journey for all of us. Because like I said earlier, I know from my experience that it's not a one and done. No healing is ever a one and done.
1: So I have enjoyed writing as well in the past. And I don't know if you feel this way especially when you're crafting your writing, you're polishing it up, you know, you can stand back from that, I think a little bit. Writing can be intimate, but I think there also could be a wall around there. But when you're doing something like audio or video, when you can be seen, your mannerisms, the choice of your words actually coming out of your mouth matters, that feels really intimate. Did you find that? Like, was that a whole other level for you when you were recording the videos versus the writing?
0: Yes, very much so. It's one thing to see my picture or to read my words, but to actually see me talking and thinking the eye contact, it actually made me feel like I had more of a connection with them because they were going to feel like they knew me better. And that is something I strive for in this is that I really want people to feel like they know me because I think that that's where the authenticity and the trust. For me, again, this is an act of service. That's where I come from with it. I mean, I love it and it is my business. I'm not going to say it's not my business. It's my business, but I'm coming from it from a, a space of a pure heart and really wanting to help. So I think that intimacy that is created in a video, an audio, an Instagram live, something like that is really great to tap into that relationship with people.
1: So given our podcast really reaches a lot of professional women at different stages in their careers, I'm really curious about your career advice. You know, you yourself have made really big career pivots. And I think the Rise Above the Story message can really help someone think through a career change for themselves. You know, what's holding them back? What are their own limitations? And what do they really want to do? What would you say to someone who is thinking about a career change and move that they should think about as they're starting out that process?
0: I would say this, like I like to do so many times, I'll share a brief story about how I did it. I went to law school and I said, you know, I always wanted to be a writer, but you can write as a lawyer, but it's not the same kind of writing. So I was telling myself the story as I was a lawyer that, oh, I am writing and I am going to get to do that. and, And so it was the story I was telling myself, but I was really living in this limited view of who I was and what I could do in the world. Really what I guess I would tell people is listen to that whisper. There's always that pull that says, I wanna do something else. And a lot of times you tap it back and you say, but look at how comfortable I am. Look at what I make. Look at my benefits. Look at what's going on. For me, that whisper turned into a scream. It was making me miserable. And I turned into the unhappiest person I knew because I wasn't fulfilling my inner dream. And my advice would be to somebody wanting to change is if you hear that, if you have that call inside you, It's there and it's real and it means something. A lot of it is just the fear of the change, fear of switching, fear of giving up what you have and believing that there's something bigger and greater out there for you because you wouldn't be having the intuitive sense if it wasn't really something. Listen to that and to tap in and to tune in and to honor who you are and value what you desire because... When it's calling you, it's calling you for a reason.
1: I'm also curious about how you use these techniques in your relationships. You know, the way you described really being a second mother to your brother, adopting him when he was so young and you were so young. Has this also changed the nature of your relationship and given you a different way of relating to him?
0: Yes, absolutely. He and I have gone through it. I mean, I can't even tell you because we never know like what our roles are. We went through the mother-son and then we went through the brother-sister and then he got to be old enough and then we became friends. And then when he got married, I was the best man in his wedding. Then we've had our knockdown dragouts. There's so much evolution to a person and so much evolution in the way you love someone as they age, as you age, as your relationships change. I feel like that's the same way with any kind of relationship. He and I definitely have a special connection, that's for sure.
1: Thank you very much for sharing that. I know that's very personal, so I really appreciate that.
0: Oh, thank you for asking.
1: So tell us what's on the horizon for you for the next year. What is 2022 bringing for you?
0: 2022 is going to be amazing right now. I'm continuing to build my social platforms. So I am big on Facebook and Instagram, Karina Kilcoyne, and my website has a fabulous sign up for newsletter. So I've been spending a lot of time developing my newsletter, which I send out once a month now, and I'm hoping to get up to twice a month. My website, I'm going to continue to expand. So you'll see a lot of videos of me on there. And I also have a really fun page where I share a lot of products I am such a huge holistic health person. And I believe that, you know, for me anyway, my healing journey was physical, mental, emotional. It was a lot of things. So I'm really big in you know, wellness. And so I love sharing all that stuff with people. I'm starting a podcast in January called Rise Above the Story, where I'm going to interview people who have fascinating backgrounds and stories that they have risen above, hopefully to inspire people. And the biggest thing, my biggest dream of all is that I have this Rise Above the Story book written, making my dream a reality. And I'm really, really proud of the book, the brand, the site. I feel like it's just so authentic and what I want to put out into the world. So 2022 is going to be an amazing year for all of us who want to rise above our stories.
1: Well, I really appreciate your speaking with us. I think you have a very clear message. I think it's something that's so universal and especially given the last almost two years of being in this pandemic, I think it's something that we need to hear that we all have agency to really challenge our own self-beliefs and do something about that. So I just wish you the best. We'll be absolutely looking out for all the great things that you're about to do and reading and consuming it all. So thank you for joining us.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me on. This is such a wonderful podcast and you do such a great job with the message of this. So I'm so grateful. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to my conversation with Karina Kilcoin. I really appreciated the vulnerability and honesty that she shared. I loved hearing her advice on how we can all rise above our own stories to reshape the narratives that we construct for ourselves regarding careers and relationships. I look forward to following her new ventures in 2022. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe so you won't miss any others. For JPMorgan Chase's Women on the Move, I'm Sam Saperstein. JPMorgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.